Welcome back to the podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I'd like to welcome my guest to the show today, Digby Lee, who is an expert in all things hourly billing and is going to share some really interesting insights with us today. Hi, Digby. How are you? Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, great. Thanks, Sean. Uh, really looking forward to today and and just uh, the great combo that I know that we're going to have. So as a bit of background, um, I'm a lawyer, not an accountant, but uh, there's a lot of similarities in our industry. And I've been at this for a while. I have been practicing for just over 40 years. And I started at a large downtown Vancouver law firm with 100 lawyers. So I've done, I've practiced in that context. I've have had a partnership with another fellow for 13 years. And I've had my own firm here at Digby Lee & Co. for the last uh, 17 years as of June 1st. So um, I... I have quite a bit of background in terms of the legal industry, and I'm hoping today I can share some of what we're up to. And that I know you will be able to, because I always learn something when I speak with you. So thank you for the background. That's very helpful. I know a lot of your area of expertise is in the legal industry. However, we've talked about this a few times before, the correlation between the problems and challenges that you know all too well in the legal industry. I see a lot of in the accounting industry. That's why um, Thankful that you were willing to come on my show and share some of the insights that you've learned and then the other problems and challenges that you've solved, uh, both some of the services and products that you've been involved with offering back to the industry to move, you know, move the needle and make progress in all of those areas, and particularly as it relates to kind of the hourly billing model. I know there's a good friend of ours, Jonathan Stark. Um, he has been a huge champion of trying to make progress in that area as well, too. And I know both you and I have uh, learned from him as well also. But I'd love to hear you kind of just start from there, if you wouldn't mind, is can you talk to me a little bit more about your experience as it pertains to the hourly billing model, um, good, bad, and otherwise, you know, where you see it and the different projects that you've been involved with trying to make improvements to that model and then perhaps more about why? Yeah, so the legal industry is is uh, almost exclusively built around the billable hour, much like the accounting industry was historically. And at the large downtown firm that I worked at, everything, well, virtually everything would have been done on an hourly basis. And, and most of my practice in my career has been primarily done based on the hour where you do the work, you record the time, how many hours, um, and your hourly rate, and then you do all the multiplication, you send the bill out after the project, and then you get to have those um, difficult client conversations with clients as to should did you spend all your time wisely with the right people working on the file? And so I to go back, really my journey away from billing by the hour goes back about six, seven years, and, and it's probably illustrative to, to tell a bit of a story. So I'll um, banter on for a little bit and, uh, and bring you up to uh, the the launch of not billing by the hours. So probably six, seven years ago, I can remember hiring, you know, we had an articling student and I was in my brain, I was determined that I had to look at this billable hour thing and look to see what was happening in the world and where people were moving away from the billable hour. And in all that, I found that there's a firm in Australia that was owning it. Um, Moore's is actually their name. So if you go onto their website, it's very cool. You'll see how much the people there really enjoy the fact that they don't bill by the hour and the client experience interaction. So 
I did what a lot of people do um, with strategic planning is I, I had all these ideas. I put it in a drawer and got back to work because that's what you do. Um, and then fast forward, um, March 16th of 2020, that's a pretty important date for a lot of people um, as it was really in North America the the when COVID and the pandemic landed. And I was down in our place in the desert, um, enjoying the sunshine and enjoying my freedom. And I didn't know how precious that was going to be. And I was on the plane, I was flying home and I just got this like thought in my mind. I said, these are about to be incredibly uncertain times. What better time is there for certainty for clients? And it just sounded like the right thing. So I went back in my drawer, I suppose, found a little bit of research that I'd done. And then, um, also had the good fortune that my son, who was a, year, a lawyer who had practiced for five years, Scott, Scott had decided he wanted to leave the legal industry. So, and he'd worked with me for many, many years, including his summering and articling and everything. And he just, uh, something about the legal industry and the way it operated, even at our firm, was something that didn't resonate with him. So Scott had time. And so he came back to work on a more of a contract type basis to help us convert away from, um, from hourly billing to not billing by the hour. So there's no manual. There's no way to do it. Um, there's, we just, you know, like a lot of things I've done in my life, I just thought about it. I planned out and said, how can you do it? So um, uh, why don't I just stop for a second, Sean, I'm about to start the next part of the story and how we built out not doing it by the hour, which is completely applicable to how you might do it in the accounting industry, but maybe give you a chance to ask any questions you have so far about the journey on the plane back and what was running through my brain. Yeah, for sure. That's kind of what I was thinking as well, also in terms of the, where the inspiration come from in terms of, you know, um, Wanting to switch, wanting to move away from hourly billing, I have so many questions, but I want to make sure that keeping it uh, in line with the story that you're telling in the moment, I'm curious to learn more about what was the what were the primary motivators to want to like question the hourly billing model, and then later on in the episode, I'd love to talk, I'd love to revisit the Australia component because we've talked about that before. But first, uh, I'd love to learn more about what your, what your motivators were to challenge the like status quo. It's perfect because in my, um, I've done LinkedIn posts on a monthly basis about my journey and about challenges, about pricing, about a lot of different topics, but my very first topic was why. So if you find me on LinkedIn and you go to all my posts of the article called Let's Be Frank, um, which is kind of, you, you'll understand where that name comes from and as we tell the story, but I, I want to talk about why. And so I looked at the three stakeholders and the three stakeholders in my mind are the people that work in the industry, lawyers, paralegals, the other staff. I looked at the law firm as a separate um, stakeholder, you know, a profit center, if you will. And then, of course, I looked at clients and I probably was primarily driven by finding a solution for the people that work in the industry. I really believe that billing by the hour. what it creates is your, your only financial uh, increased financial worth is by putting in more hours. And it's just an unhealthy um, environment. And people have all heard the stories about people at large law firms or accounting firms that, you know, yep. the, the recordable target is 
1,700, 2,000 hours a year. You start doing the math. And then pretty soon you're working seven days a week, 17 hours a day. And that is your life. And you only way you can do better is to add that 18th hour every day. And to me, that's unsustainable. And we and the stats are unbelievable in terms of people leaving the legal industry. Um, Thompson Reuter puts out a report that uh, last when I read it, I think they say 25% of associates leave from firms every wow. year. Um, two to five percent actually become partners. So something's clearly broken. It's supported by the data and it's getting worse all the time. So a lot of what I was doing was was motivated by creating a better environment for the people in our firm and where they worked in and creating a more sustainable, more enjoyable you know, environment to work in. I also really believe that it was great for clients. I thought being able to budget, have price certainty up front. Um, I believe that they would like it. And uh, that's been borne out really like no slippage whatsoever in terms of our clientele. Um, they they enjoy it. And they're they're all over getting that that quote up front, which I'll talk about more as we go on. And law firms, I felt like um, the uh, system with billable hour just is not not aligned with creating efficiencies and running the business well. Whereas now you make more money if you have great systems, if you're pricing based on deliverables, what I call more of a client focused pricing. I don't use the expression value pricing because that's completely, you know, skewed to the client end in my mind. I like to think of that as a very important factor in pricing. I like to think of looking at the costs, which are the inputs, the old fashioned, you know, cost plus hourly model. And I also think that you're always can be driven by market and there are market ranges for even the most complex of uh, transactions. So the why is, is, there's so many whys. First of all, no more difficult conversations with clients after you've completed a project of how you spent your time. I literally was talking to my accountant and we're going over our our annual uh, financial statements and they've got two people on the call and I'm paying by the hour and I'm going, I, I'm glad you're both there, but I can't help but think that you're both there. <laughs> and, exactly. and I'm like, ah, I don't want to think that. It was right. just like, yeah. And so I think even, even if you get fair pricing, your mind is on different things. So I believe sure. communication is so improved when clients no longer have to um, think about picking up the phone, talking to you about what's important. They don't care if you have a team of five or a team of one. Uh, so they don't care about that any longer. It's just about getting a great job done and delivering what you promise. So that communication link, I think, produces better results for clients. Like a, a, a project that's more, um, more targeted towards success for the client, because it's not just a conveyance. It's not just an incorporation. Everybody has a different like set of factors that they believe is success. So you know, some want more communication. They want they want to build that. They want to know that they're on the right track. Others just get it done. So even like the same project, success looks differently. So that communication so much better. No collection issues because everything's agreed upon up front. Um, and all the things that people worry about, like, um, oh my goodness, you know, clients are going to be, they're going to just think that you're trying to make more money. Well, I think they 
they just like price certainty and they have a they it's collaborative pricing as opposed to dictatorial pricing um i just haven't found that and i haven't found and our our work's mostly relationship oriented so it's not transaction where people come and go for one uh but i find that no i don't have any clients that want to waste my time and their time talking about things when it's not important so i've not found people abusing the open uh, book, if you will, approach. So I think that that covers a lot of the whys, um, but primarily it was it was about uh, about creating a better environment for people to practice law and making this, uh, yeah, a better, just a better uh, life, uh, life work choice. It really does seem like a better fit kind of all around. I'm a huge proponent of it myself as well, obviously. Also, but I'd share a story with you, Digby, you find this interesting, even my personal experiences with my own accounting firm, as you were talking about yours. And uh, there was a project we were working on together and it worked they had started doing, but it wasn't complete yet. And at the time I was getting pinged for, Hey, you know, I need you to pay this bill. And I said, well, that bills for the project that has a very specific outcome that I, I need done you guys started it. It's not done. It doesn't work yet. And the response that I got was, well, but we put in the time. And I was like, but I, I don't care whether or not you put in the time. <laughs> I don't, that's not what I'm buying. I'm not buying your time. I'm buying the successful outcome that I need for that project. Like, yes, I'll, I'll I'm happy to pay, but I, I want the outcome. <laughs> so like that being missile, it just seems so goofy to me. Cause like, now it's again, like you said, it's like adversarial. It's like competitional. It's weird. I didn't get what I wanted. It's clearly not working for them either. And it's like uh, when you start to step back and think about leveraging that as a model to try to get this kind of work done, it doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. So, like my my question to you is going to be: Are there what are the arguments, if there are any, against switching away from an hourly billing model? Um, because I, you know, I, I'm biased, of course, because I'm a huge fan of it, and I see all these advantages. And to me, I feel like everyone's a switch. But um, is there a devil's advocate argument here to be had, or is it, for the most part, universally an improvement pretty much across the board? You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose so. Yeah. No, but I a lot um, more experience. So good well, person to I, ask, regardless. So I, the post that I do on LinkedIn, I. Yep. I want people to say, you're crazy, Digby. You know, this is wrong. And I feel like one of the reasons I don't get very much of that, maybe I'll get more after this uh, interview, <laughs> <laughs> is because I've been at the industry for a long time. I'm I'm definitely, uh, if people see my face, they'll go, they'll go, oh, he's practiced for 40 years. He doesn't look like the young, rebellious type. I might be rebellious, but I'm definitely <laughs> not as young as I once was. And so... I think you, when you've worked in a large downtown firm and with a hundred lawyers, that's, you know, you've worked in all the different environments. And I think your, your voice carries a little different weight than if you're just getting started and you're going somewhere. So I don't get a lot of pushback, but what I hear and the hard part, the difficult part in changing is the, it's, it's deeper than the legal industry or the accounting industry. It's a societal thing. Um, People feel like they should be paid for their time. 
time. If I show up at work and I'm selling a burger, I should get paid for it. It doesn't depend if I sell 10 burgers or one burger, I should be paid for my time. And in our industry and in the accounting industry as well, the people have are conditioned to believing they should be paid for all the time they spent. And if they're not getting paid, then they feel like they're underwater. Um, they're having to discount all these sort of negative pejorative type of uh, feelings run through the brain. And that's the most challenging thing to change. Now, just to, to give you the counter to the counter, if you will. Um, so we, we've continued to record time. Um, most people think that that's not a smart decision um, when if you want to convert away from it because culturally you're still recording time. Um, but I've done that so far because I wanted to do, I wanted to understand the impact of what we're doing on a financial level. And in fact, I'm, I'm speaking to our bar association here in British Columbia about the data analytics, if you will. So I've tracked um, something called billing realization rates, which are simply when you send out a bill, what is the time cost? Time cost is number of hours times hourly rates and put add all those up by the various people that worked on it. You get a time cost and then you send a bill. And so when you're billing uh, on agreed upon sums, that those numbers are virtually never going to exactly match up. You're going to be sometimes maybe a little over 100%, sometimes under. So we've tracked billing realization rates and and I'm kind of, I think I better go back a step because we jumped through my story from getting off a plane to, the, I think I got to just give a little information how we went about it. So in our firm, because the billing realization rate will tie back in. So what I did when I arrived back is I decided the way we were going to do this with Scott's help is we we're going to take all the types of projects we did and we we're going to get pull them out of our practice areas and we're going and that turned into 40 different types of projects that we regularly did so no longer was it corporate law it was in corporations it was drafting a shareholders agreement it was an m a transaction for a vendor selling shares and etc cetera, etc cetera. so we broke all those out and then we created factors for the pricing of each based a decent amount on, on history and a decent amount on the cost side. But we also made sure for each of those areas that we added value factors, like, you know, what was involved, like, was it a, like a multi-million dollar um, operating company in which we're doing a shareholders agreement that the value we deliver would be a little different and perceived a bit differently than if it was a startup as an example. So we built all that, it took us six months and then we launched manually and um and that was in october of 2020 and so and then we started the and one one more thing be, before i get to data analytics the um the other thing we did which i thought was imperative is we needed to jump in the deep end it wasn't enough to just say we're doing it we needed to internally commit to it and externally commit to it so we went to our uh, advertising agency we went through 30 or 40 names and we came up with what I think is kind of a cute name. Um, to me, it has to be a bit fun. Um, and it, we call it Frank Fee. So the yeah, Frank is the honest part. It's like, who's Frank and Fee's Fee. And so we gave it a name. And so now when clients phone, they go, can I get the Frank Fee for that? It's actually <laughs> kind of cool. That's and great. we made it up and we trademarked it. <laughs> or we're in the process of trademarking it. So, 
So we did that. But the other thing that was really important to me was the analytics side. I'm a, you know, I kind of have this passion for stats and um, which goes back to university days. And, and so I love to look at the data as a guide and to make sure that we're not being fooled by what we feel and think is going on. So what we did is we tracked billing realization rates as a firm. We tracked it by project types and we tracked it by individuals. And we started with a base because we we could pull it out of our accounting uh, software easily. And our billing realization rate going into this whole project was high 80s, which it, which from what I understand, the Clio has done a report in the legal industry that says in the United States, the billing realization rates on average are 83, 84%. So it feels like we're already doing pretty well. So when we launched Frank Fee, now I can use the name, and uh, in September of 2020, for the rest of 2020, our billing realization rate stayed right around the same, like high 80s. So, so I actually, I was kind of happy. I go, hey, we haven't screwed it up. Losing <laughs> <I'm not> money, <laughs> which I didn't think we were going to, but I guess that was some um, vindication, if you will, Definitely. for some support for what we decided to do. So. We got that. And then like, this is crazy, but so when we got to the first half of 2021, looked at the first six months and our billing realization rate for the firm was 92%. So actually awesome. going up in <laughs> half of 2021, a hundred percent. First four <laughs> months in 2022, 105%. Wow. So my theory that it was good for the firm that we would build better systems um, we would become probably better at finding the right price uh, for both us and the clients would yep. keep getting better and better. And so that's a pretty staggering result. And the other thing Definitely. that came out by the way we looked at our data is we started to adopt the expression, which isn't mine, but just, it, you know, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Mm-hmm. So we're able to look at our project types and go like, oh my goodness, like, this is these are good areas, mostly because we built incredible systems and we have the right people, the right people on the bus and the right place in the bus to go back to Colin's book of good to great. So um, we that was real. So there's been so much that we've got out of it and uh, we're so on the right track. And so that, that, I guess I folded that back into the conversation about billing realization rates why you know how we used it as data analytics and and how for the firm it really has become better and i also believe we're still just we're just touching the surface of it there's still so many things we can do with with solid project management you know as i call it cradle to grave like the minute the possibility of this new project comes along to when you actually report close bill um, I still think we have lots of work internally at our firm where we can be so much better on those things. So we haven't, we surely haven't got there yet, but the early returns are pretty darn good. It's remarkable. That's an incredible story, especially I love the way you told it through the data and analytics lens as well, also, right? As in measuring whether or not this is working, but also comparing it to the previous way that we were doing things, right? Get a better understanding and what does that transition look like? Which is really where I was going to go next, because I'm sure folks that are listening in now, especially, you know, we got a lot of uh, people representing accounting firms listening in on this show, but the gears are turning in their head. The next question, if I'm them, especially if they're currently 
very well ingrained into like the hourly billing model, but a lot of what we're saying, a lot of what you're describing is making sense to them and they want to know more. They want to know more about how would they think about making that transition if they have yet to do this themselves. What would be some of your best advice in terms of how to help them think through making this type of a transition, right? The same type of transition you help the legal firms make. Yeah, interesting. So um, clearly need a champion. <laughs> you need, <laughs> you know, probably in our situation helps having the owner as the champion, but yep. it could be anybody and somebody that's passionate about it, that there's lots that's written about it in a lot of different industries. And you can, as you were saying, you could watch Jonathan Stark, his, uh, yep. his podcast or his brand is ditching hourly tons of information there and inspiring and very much creates a, yeah, this can be done. Um, and I'm happy to talk to literally anybody. Um, uh, and I, because I, you know, I'm at that stage where I actually want to just share. So I think you need a champion. Um, one of my learnings that I could have done a better job of is I feel like I could have been more inclusive in our approach in our firm. I was more like, get on, we're doing this. <laughs> and I don't even want to have a conversation. And yep. as everybody knows, that's maybe not the best management style all the time. <laughs> you know, it's better just like if you let clients get there on their own, if you sure. let people internally get there and you're more inclusive. So I think I could have definitely been better at that. And I could have also been way better on my understanding that pricing is a craft that you hone. It's not something that you're born with. Um, it's like having to talk about money when you don't have to talk about money. So you you need to understand that um, that you know in the end you need to work on it and be prepared to maybe fall on your face a little bit, maybe feel a bit hard. But but I, we've been able to do it by building it around the early stages of landing a lead, if you will, and scoping. So we have incredibly robust conversations. Um, we dig deep. We find out who our clients are if we don't know them really well. And we'll put all that into it before we'll actually create scope and price. And then we often use a lot of pricing options to allow clients to find what fits them better. So I think that the um, the, uh, the the hard part is just you, you almost – you. You need that champion. You need the entrepreneurial mindset. Um, it's like we've been on the cloud here for over 10 years, I think. So we're on the cloud when there was hardly any firms in our province on the cloud because it made sense. So you probably need that rebellious, like uh, just because everybody else is doing it doesn't mean it's right. Um, I'm going to do what I think is right, having thought about it, not being crazy. Um, and so, but it's... Um, Culturally, as I talked about, it's it's a challenge because people are fearful of not being paid for their time in the in societally, let alone in the legal or accounting industries. Well said. I think that that point about having a champion, someone to go to, someone who understands both, you know, uh, not just the journey that you're about to embark upon, but where you're starting at and where you're ultimately going to wind up, to be continually reinforcing the fact that this is a process, right? This may not be something that happens overnight. This may not be something that transforms the firm immediately. But in the end, like here's where we're hoping to be. And if we start seeing these signs along the way, then that means it's working, right? Just like you described kind of the story arc and the transformation you made yourself, which I think it has a tremendous amount of value to offer 
everyone involved, realistically. I've seen that I've described my own experience part of this episode and how you know I've had on the other side of things with a uh, law firm that I've worked with, I got a very important service from them uh, based on fixed fee arrangement, and it worked out phenomenally well. I couldn't be happier with that type of an arrangement. And like you point, like you said before, I wasn't like constantly staring at the clock or worrying about who was on the call. I was I was focused on the the mission at hand in terms of what we were trying to achieve, and it, it better aligned the objectives with the experts and the advisors that I was working with. So. Uh, I think it's excellent for really focusing on driving those successful outcomes. And uh, it's something I would 100% encourage all listeners to kind of follow, you know, not just uh, the advice Digby that you've provided here, which I'm super grateful for, but everything else that you're working on, other cool projects you're working on uh, with your sons as well, too, which I'm sure be a great opportunity to mention that as well. Also, as we kind of wrap up this episode, but the, there's two questions I was going to have for you before we, before we let you go. The first one uh, would be a good opportunity perhaps to talk about that or anything else you may recommend in the form of resources. Are there any other resources you would recommend where people go to learn more about anything we talked about here today or anything else that you feel is important to mention? Well, we've we've actually touched on a few as we've gone through. Uh, I think the Ditching Hourly, Jonathan Stark, he, he, he is a former web designer, I think. And so he takes that and he has so many good stories. One of his best stories so that's ditching hourly. I think if you put that, if you Google yeah. that, you will find Jonathan or Jonathan Stark, S T A R K. Um, so uh, I, I want to share this one because, like, this has been magical for me in terms of creating the value proposition for clients. He has this really short episode where he says there's three questions you ask, all with the intent of kind of trying to convince someone not to hire you. And he says, ask these three questions. He goes, Why do you want to do this? Why do you want to do it now? And why do you want me to do it? And in a very sort of like, like this is all crazy. And I find in my, in, in a lot of times the answers to the questions of why do you want to do it? Or why do you want to do it now? Those are important foundational pieces. But I find when I say, why do you want me to do it or us to do it? That's where they really go. Like, I've been told you guys are amazing. Like, I've been told to come to you. And you go, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> That's and they've created the value proposition of, of what's important. And they're really saying, I hear that you deliver on your promises. I hear that you create confidence in the in the client, that you, you know, they create trust. Um, all those soft things are really built into those rec, you know, someone saying, why us? And so you don't even have to say it a lot of times. They just get there. And I think that is one of the most powerful um, tools to use when you're trying to get to price. Um, I, I mean, as a as a resource, um, you know, my LinkedIn um, article, now written enough of them, that there is something there. There's 10, 11 articles, I think, done monthly on what we call Let's Be Frank. And it's more about personal journeys. Uh, the first one was why the next two were on how, which is some of the stuff we've already covered. And then I have ones on what are people saying after six months of doing it. And uh, so it's, it's all very conversational. And uh, so I think that's a, that's a, an easy resource and easy reading. And they're really short because I know people only want to spend a certain amount of time, uh, you know, in their spare time uh, learning, if you will, or, or reading things that are interesting. So, um, so that those are some resources, and there's so many people like you, Sean, that are 
passionate about making the professional services area a better place. I mean, you could read David Meister's book, True Professionalism. That's a great one. Uh, small story. David was my professor in logistics at UBC um, like a zillion years ago. Very cool. um, so uh, like I got this tie to it after all these years where he became a real guru in advising professional services firm, written many books. So David Meister, M-A-I-S-T-R, S-T-R. I guess it's this is my opportunity to talk about what we've also done, as you alluded to with my two sons, Scott and Digby. So as soon as we launched manually in September of 2020, we incorporated a new company called Alt Fee Solutions. So that's A-L-T-F-E-E Solutions. So easy to um, Google that name. And that was what we've done there is we've created a SaaS product tech to support pricing. And it's specifically tailored for the legal industry. And out of that, it facilitates, you know, creating project types. Um, and then and we provide a template of factors. And then it's a tool to build all your pricing into one one into one spot in one one piece of software. And um, it's got a continuous learning loop in there. So there's lots of insights and opportunity for mentors to share their thoughts on how they price particular projects or particular types of work. So that's it. We uh, launched in uh, in February of this year, and we're really excited. We have other firms on it. And really, weirdly, um, we have people from other industries saying, can you do that for us? Oh, we're kind awesome. of like, we just figured out how to do it for the legal industry. <laughs> but we, white, we white labeled it for the uh, an accounting firm and and we're going to do a financial advisor because they're they're going like, oh, this is really good. We want to do what you're doing. And we're saying, well, we can't build it right now. Maybe next year or the year after or the year after the year. So, um, so cool. uh, that's the tech side of what we've accomplished. And again, as I said, we launched February of 2022. So just launched and and we got people on it. People are paying, which is really cool for the person that's been funding it. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Oh, yeah. Big, important part. Yeah. yeah. Well said, Dick. Thank you for sharing all those resources. Some excellent ones in there. And I would encourage everybody listening to check out, you know, besides all of the great work you've done, Digby, Jonathan Stark, for sure, as well. Also, huge fan of his. Been following him for years. It's a lot of amazing, great content. And then Alt Fee as well. Also, it doesn't surprise me that you're getting people reaching out from other industries as well, too. I'm hoping you guys transform all of them because I've seen the benefits myself. So selfishly, <laughs> I would like to see them make their way around all of these industries. I think it's better for everybody, uh, the businesses included as well, obviously, too. And you told a great story about that as well. So uh, check them all out. And we'll link to them in the show notes that folks who um, want to see you know, a list of some of those easy access will be provided in the show notes for this episode. And then uh, last question I have for you, Digby, before I let you go, is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? I think the, you know, um, I, I'll give you two. I think the easiest is through LinkedIn. Uh, I mean, I check my LinkedIn um, account all the time. Um, I post there regularly. And so it's a real easy way to connect with me. And you're you're welcome to direct message me. If we can, we might then take it offline onto emails. I mean, if you Google my name, it's, you know, D-I-G-B-Y, last name's L-E-I-G-H. I am like, there's there's maybe four of us you'll find 
important. You'll find my father who passed away in 1975. You'll find me, you'll find my son, and you'll find my soon-to-be three-year-old grandson. We all have the same name. So that's it. And my three-year-old grandson is probably not that you know significant a profile yet. Uh, yeah. So Google, Google's a pretty easy way, and through LinkedIn is is kind of the easiest way to get me. So Fantastic. Thank you, Digby. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your knowledge and experience with myself and our audience. I'm very excited to share this episode with everyone. Well, maybe, uh, Sean, I could thank you now. Um, maybe, I don't know how many, if you get thanked all the time, um, <laughs> but uh, I really think it's great what you're doing. Uh, we've got to know each other a bit. I love the journey that you are personally on. I think that's so cool and innovative and taking life by its throat, if you will, and making the most out of it. So um, if we all like, uh, we all believe that we can live life the way we want to live life and take charge and make good sound decisions, be bold, be innovative, I think we'll be a a much better place. Thank you, Digby. That means a lot. And I very much appreciate you being here. Okay. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Accounting Automation. I hope you found it valuable. I help accounting firms scale their profit exponentially without needing to hire any additional accountants. So if your firm is in growth mode and can't keep up, I'd love to talk to you more about how I can empower your firm to do more with less through automation and technology. To learn more, visit my website, nextstep.io, or email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's sean, S-E-A-N, at nextstep, N-X-T-S-T-E-P, dot I-O. Hey folks, Sean here, and I want to thank you for engaging with my content and encourage you to sign up for my free five-day video email course called Bottleneck Buster. Bottleneck Buster is designed to show you how to boost the profitability of your firm without hiring. You'll learn where your firm is wasting time, how to get that time back, and how to reinvest it to drive greater profitability. Sign up for the course at bottleneckbuster.com.